Good morning. My name is Adam. If you don't know me, it's uh, wonderful to have you with us this morning as we continue the sermon series that we've been in for a few weeks now that we've called Reason to Believe. The last few weeks we've been looking at the miracles that Jesus performed as they're recorded in the Gospel of John. And John, the author of this account of Jesus' life and ministry, he calls these miracles signs because they tell us something important about Jesus' identity and Jesus' mission. And this morning we come to the sixth miracle that we'll be looking at when Jesus heals the man born blind. And we read about this account in John chapter 9. And if you have your Bibles, you can turn to the Gospel of John, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John chapter 9, and we'll read this account together. The story actually takes up the entire chapter, verses 1 to 41. Uh, We'll read verses 1 to 7, and then verses 35 to 41. And you can uh, follow along on the screen as we read. John chapter 9, starting in verse 1. As he passed by, he saw a man blind from birth. And his disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Jesus answered, it was not that this man sinned or his parents, but that the works of God might be displayed in him. We must work the works of him who sent me while it is day, night is coming, when no one can work. As long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. Having said these things, he spit on the ground and made mud with the saliva. Then he anointed the man's eyes with the mud and said to him, go, Wash in the pool of Siloam, which means scent. So he went and washed and came back seeing. And then we jump down to verse 35. Jesus heard that they had cast him out and having found him, he said, Do you believe in the Son of Man? He answered, And who is he, sir, that I may believe in him? Jesus said to him, You have seen him, and it is he who is speaking to you. He said, Lord, I believe. And he worshipped him. Jesus said, For judgment I came into this world, that those who do not see may see, and those who see may become blind. Some of the Pharisees near him heard these things and said to him, Are we also blind? Jesus said to them, If you were blind, you would have no guilt. But now that you say, We see, your guilt remains. Have you ever found yourself lost and alone in the dark? Have you ever found yourself in darkness with very little idea where you are or where you even need to go? I remember a couple of years ago, Molly and I went on a holiday to Tasmania. We loved Tasmania, we had a great time, we hired a car and we drove around. And one of the places that we visited was Port Arthur. Now Port Arthur is a former convict settlement and prison and at Port Arthur there's a place called the separate prison and at the separate prison they use a philosophy or a methodology that they called the silent system. Now in this system prisoners were identified by numbers rather than names. They were forced to wear hoods over their heads, they had to remain silent at all times and they spent their days in solitary confinement cells. Now the idea was that this would give prisoners a chance to reflect on what they'd done, but it actually just produced 
horrific mental illnesses as a result of spending countless days in silence and in darkness. Now, if you go to the separate prison, you can actually um, visit and hop into one of these solitary confinement cells. Now, Molly wasn't too keen on the idea, but I wanted to give it a go. So I went inside and Molly shut the door. We were newly married, so I trusted her at this stage. (laughs) Now, the darkness inside the cell was... Total. It was complete. It was suffocating. I couldn't even see my hand in front of my face. And after a while, I began to lose my bearings. I wasn't really sure which way was which. Now, eventually, Molly opened the door. It took a little bit longer than I would have liked, but, but she eventually opened the door. And when she did, the light that flooded into the cell was blinding. I mean, I had to turn my eyes away from it for a moment. But after I'd adjusted, I I saw that the light actually illuminated the cell and it illuminated the way out of the cell. Now the reason I tell you this is because the Bible tells us that this world is in darkness. That humanity is enslaved by the darkness of sin and death and evil. And this is why the Bible describes Jesus as the light of the world. Because Jesus comes as a light into our darkness. That's what we read Jesus' claim in verse 5, and this is what Jesus said a little bit earlier in John's Gospel when he said, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Now what it means that Jesus is the light of the world is that he is the one who reveals God to us, and he is the one who brings us to God, shows us the way to God. Jesus is the one who opens the door to ourselves shines his light upon us and leads us out of our imprisonment into the light of freedom and life with God. And this is incredibly good news, which means that we would expect all people, everybody, to be rushing to Jesus, the light of the world. But if we look around, that's not the case, is it? Not everybody is flocking to Jesus, the light of the world. In fact, many people have rejected Jesus and turned away from Jesus. Instead of walking towards the light, they've been blinded by the light and have turned away from him. And again, the Bible tells us to expect this. A little earlier in John's Gospel, again, Jesus said, and this is the judgment. The light has come into the world and people loved the darkness rather than the light because their works were evil. The Bible is saying Jesus is the light of the world. And some people are drawn to his light and step into his light. Others are blinded by his light and they turn away from him. And the story that we're looking at today in John chapter 9, it reveals to us this profound truth that Jesus is the light of the world. But even more than that, it confronts us with our response to Jesus. Are we walking towards him and towards his light? Or are we turning away from him and turning away from his light? This story is incredibly important for every single one of us in this room, whether you're a Christian or not. And so to help us unpack this story, we're going to look at it under three simple headings. The miracle, the response, and the meaning. So let's look firstly at the miracle itself. Now, as the story begins, we read that Jesus and his disciples are walking through the streets of Jerusalem. And they come across a blind man who is begging on the side of the road. 
Now when the disciples see this blind man begging, they pause to ask Jesus a question. And this question is not really the main point of the passage, but it's a good question. And I think it's a question that you and I have wrestled with or wondered about at some stage in our life. Or maybe we're wondering about it right now. And so I think it's worth exploring for just a moment. The disciples ask Jesus, they say, Rabbi, who sinned? This man or his parents that he was born blind? In other words, the disciples want to know why Jesus was this man born blind. And this is an understandable question, isn't it? In fact, when we go through suffering or we see someone else go through suffering, this is often the first question that kind of bubbles to the surface in our hearts. Why me? Why them? Why that? Why now? Why God? But I want you to notice the assumption in the disciples' question. You see, they assume that this man's blindness was caused by either his sin or his parents' sin. And this was actually a common view in that day and in that culture. See, they believed if something bad happened to someone, well, you probably had it coming. You'd probably done something to deserve it. You'd probably offended God and so God is now punishing you. And let's be honest, we too often think about suffering in this way. Often we believe at some level that if something bad has happened to us, it must be because we've done something wrong. It must be because God is punishing us. In fact, I read a story this week from uh, this man on the screen, R.C. Sproul, he's an author, a theologian, and he, he passed away late last year, and he tells the story about his dad. And he says his dad was a, a dedicated Christian, he, he was really passionate about tithing. Now, I think that's a great thing to be passionate about, so you know, feel free to do that. Just kidding. Anyway, R.C. says that his dad, from a very young age, taught him about the importance of giving. And R.C. goes on to tell this story. He says, In the 49th year of my father's life, a friend of his who owned an automobile dealership was on the brink of bankruptcy. And since my father was a corporate bankruptcy accountant, he agreed to help this man with his problem. During that year, my father gave to his friend, gave, not lent, the sum of $10,000 to help him in his business. Fifty years ago, $10,000 was a tidy sum of money. But my father gave that amount to his friend who needed it. However, my father's business was suffering because of all the time he was working to help his friend, and his income was not what it normally was. So for the first time in his life, he didn't tithe that year. Early in the next year, he suffered the first of three debilitating strokes that ultimately took his life. He could hardly speak, but I remember him saying to me, Son, I'm convinced that God has afflicted me because I failed to tithe. He went to his grave believing that. And we often think in the same way. At some level we believe that if we're suffering it's because we've done something wrong. And so the disciples say to Jesus, Jesus, who sinned, this man or his parents? And what does Jesus say? He says, it was not that this man sinned or his parents, neither, but that the works of God might be displayed in him. Now, there are a number of different reasons that the Bible gives us as to why we suffer. Sometimes the Bible says our suffering can be corrective. It can be given to us to draw us back to God where we might have strayed. Sometimes it can be constructive. It can be given to build character and to build us in Christ-likeness. 
Sometimes it can just be the result of our own sinful actions, the consequence of our own sinful actions. If you get drunk and get behind the wheel and crash your car and injure yourself, that is the consequence of your sinful actions. Sometimes it can be the consequence of someone else's sinful actions. If someone else gets behind the wheel of the, is drunk, gets behind the wheel of the car, crashes into you and injures you, then that's a consequence of their actions. Sometimes our suffering is just a result of living in a broken world. A world that is turned away from God and is experiencing the brokenness that that brings. But notice the promise that Jesus gives us here in this verse. He says that in all of our troubles, in all of our trials, in all of our tribulations, God is at work. God might seem silent. God might seem absent. God might seem distant. But Jesus says he is at work. This is the truth that John reminded of us last week from Romans chapter 8, verse 28. This well-known passage of scripture. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good, for those who are called according to his purpose. Charles Spurgeon says it this way, a well-known preacher. He says, the worldly person blesses God while he gives him plenty. But the Christian blesses him when he smites him. He believes him too wise to err and too good to be unkind. He trusts him where he cannot trace him, looks up to him in the darkest hour and believes that all is well. Now, I don't know exactly what challenges you're facing. I know that we have so many different trials and troubles and challenges in this room, some really deep and hard And I know you might be confused and in pain and even heartbroken about what's going on in your life. I simply want to encourage you today to just look up to God and say, God, would you please be at work in what we're going through, in what I'm going through. God, I don't see exactly what you're doing. I don't even understand it. But I believe that you're too wise to err and too good to be unkind. Help me to trust you. And the promise that we have from Jesus is that though we don't know exactly why we might suffer and why we might go through what we go through, that God is at work. And we actually see this to be true as the story continues. See, we see that Jesus heals this man who was born blind. Now you might have noticed that when Jesus healed this man, the way that he did it was very unusual and very weird. I mean... Before, in the Gospel of John, when Jesus has healed someone, he's done it simply by speaking. But here, Jesus spits into the dirt, mixes it up to make mud, and then he puts this mud in the man's eyes. Now, what's worse, getting spit in the eyes or getting mud in the eyes? What about both? And then he sends him off to to wash it all off in a nearby pool. And look at the result. So he went and washed, and came back seeing. And that's it. That's what we're told. Now, does that seem a little bit anticlimactic to you? I mean, this would have been an amazing moment. This man was blind from birth. He had never seen his parents. He'd never seen a sunrise. He'd never seen the temple. He'd never even seen a tree. And Jesus gives him his sight. And all we're told is that he went and washed and came back seeing. 
Now why? Well, the reason that this seems so anticlimactic is because the healing itself is not actually the point of the story. The point of the story is what it tells us about who Jesus is and why he came. You see, this reveals to us that Jesus is the promised Messiah. In the Old Testament, in the book of Isaiah, there was a prophecy that the Messiah, when he came, he would open the eyes of the blind. In Isaiah 29 verse 18 we read, In that day the deaf shall hear the words of a book, and out of their gloom and darkness the eyes of the blind shall see. It also reveals that Jesus is the Son of God, and this is the point of the weird way in which Jesus heals this man. See, Jesus makes mud from the dust of the ground to recreate this man's vision. Now this should remind you of Genesis 2, when God creates Adam using the dust of the ground. See, Jesus is pointing to his identity as the one who is able to give life. His identity as the Messiah, the Son of God, the light of the world. The one who reveals God to us and who shows us the way to God. And so this miracle confronts us with the question, what is your response to Jesus? Are you walking towards him or away from him? Are you walking towards his light or away from his light? And this is why, as the story continues, the focus shifts from the healing itself to the response of those who witnessed it. And the focus in the verses that follow is on a group known as the Pharisees. Now the Pharisees were a local council of religious leaders. They would teach and interpret the law of God. They were the authority on matters of life and faith. And this is why after he is healed, the formerly blind man is brought before the Pharisees. And they interrogate him about how and when and why and by whom he was healed. And they discover that it was Jesus who healed him and Jesus healed him on the Sabbath. Dun, dun, dun. Now that doesn't seem like a big deal to us, but that was a big deal for the Pharisees. See, the Sabbath was a day that was set aside each week for God's people to rest and to worship him. It was one of the Ten Commandments that was given to God's people on Mount Sinai. This is what we read in Exodus 20. Six days, God says, you shall labour and do all your work. But the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it, you shall not do any work. Now, according to the interpretation of the Pharisees, to make mud, to spit into the ground and to mix up dirt and to make mud is considered work. And so in their minds, Jesus has broken God's law when he healed this man. And this is why the conclusion of some of the Pharisees is that this man is not from God, for he does not keep the Sabbath. The Pharisees are blind to the identity of Jesus. They're looking at the light of Jesus. They see this man that's been healed right in front of them. But instead of marvelling at the power of Jesus, the evidence that is right in front of them, they reject Jesus. And why do they do this? What's driving the blindness of the Pharisees? Why are they refusing to recognise what is right in front of them? The answer is pride. Pride. To put it simply, pride is thinking of yourself too highly. 
Or as one author puts it, pride is an inflated sense of one's own worth or personal status and typically makes one feel a sense of superiority over others and can easily make someone look condescendingly at others. And this is exactly what we see in the Pharisees as the story continues. See, they continue to interrogate this man. Look what they say to him. So for the second time, they called the man who had been blind and said to him, Give glory to God. In other words, tell us the truth. Be honest with us. Tell us the truth about this man, Jesus. Look at what they say. We know that this man is a sinner. Now, if this formerly blind man had a lawyer at this point, he would object. This is leading the witness, Your Honour. But look at what he says. He answered, Whether he is a sinner, I do not know. One thing I do know, that though I was blind, now I see. Now let's just pause here for a moment because isn't this a brilliant response? Firstly, he's honest with them. He says, I don't know if Jesus is a sinner or not. I haven't spent that much time with him, to be honest. I don't know. And if you're a Christian, this has an important lesson about sharing your faith. And that is, you don't have to have all the answers. It's okay to say, I don't know. You don't need to pretend like you know everything. But then, and this is really important, what this man goes on to do, he goes on to tell them what he does know. He says, I don't know if Jesus is a sinner or not, but one thing I do know, one thing I will stake my life upon, one thing that is undeniable, is that I was blind, but now I see. And if you're a Christian, this is your testimony as well. Jesus has saved me from ignorance and darkness. I didn't know God and Jesus has opened my eyes and now I know God. I was blind, but now I see. And these words inspired John Newton when he wrote Amazing Grace. Amazing Grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now am found. Was blind, but now I see. And this is what this man says to the Pharisees, but instead of it opening their eyes, it only closes their eyes even more. Their blindness worsens and they go even harder after this man. Look at what we read. Verse 26. They said to him, what did he do to you? How did he open your eyes? He answered them, I have told you already and you would not listen. Why do you want to hear it again? This is funny, I love this. Do you also want to become his disciples? Do you want to hear it again and again? Why don't you just follow him with me? And then because they realise they're losing the argument, they go after the man and they reviled him, saying, you are his disciple, but we are disciples of Moses. In other words, we follow the law of God given to Moses on Mount Sinai. We know, they say, that God has spoken to Moses, but as for this man, we do not know where he comes from. In other words, Jesus is a nobody from nowhere as far as we're concerned. The man answered, why, this is an amazing thing. I love his boldness. You do not know where he comes from, and yet he opened my eyes. We know that God does not listen to sinners, but if anyone is a worshipper of God and does his will, God listens to him. Never since the world began has it been heard that anyone opened the eyes of a man born blind. If this man were not from God, he could do nothing. They answered him, you were born in utter sin. And would you teach us? And they cast him out. 
And what you see there is pride. Pride. Who's this Jesus? He's a nobody from nowhere. He's a lawbreaker. We keep the law of God. We teach the law of God. I say to this man, who are you? What do you know? You're a sinner. We're not sinners. Pride. And their pride is blinding them to Jesus. Their pride is stopping them from coming to Jesus. And the truth is, pride continues to stop people from coming to Jesus to this day. Pride blinds us to the depth of our sin and our need for God's grace. See, the message of Christianity is that you are a sinner saved by grace. And to accept Jesus, you must accept that you are a sinner and you cannot save yourself. Not by your pedigree, not by your intellect, not by your good looks, not by your good deeds. You need to be rescued by the sheer grace and mercy of God. And what that means is that those people who are saved, who come to know Jesus, who come to know God, they're not necessarily the good people. They're the people who know that they're not good and that they need a saviour. And those who are lost, who refuse to come to Jesus, who refuse to submit to God, they're not necessarily the bad people. They're the proud people. Those who will refuse to submit themselves to God's will. And this is why often what makes us proud, those things that we think are advantages in this life, blessings in this life, intellect, money, beauty, success, power, they can actually be disadvantages when it comes to entering the kingdom of God. Because they can blind you to your sin and your need for God's grace. This is why Jesus said, Truly I say to you, only with difficulty will a rich person enter the kingdom of heaven. Now let me ask you, when you hear the message of the gospel, the message of Christianity, that you're a sinner saved by grace, doesn't matter how full or how empty your bank account is, doesn't matter how high or how low your IQ is, doesn't matter what job title you have or whether you even have a job, that we're all beggars in need of bread, we're all sinners in need of salvation, we're all blind in need of sight, what is your response? Don't let your pride blind you to your sin and your need for God's grace. And the Pharisees in this story give us a picture of spiritual blindness. But alongside the blindness of the Pharisees, there's been another kind of response. The response of this man who was healed by Jesus. See, as the story has continued, this man's eyes have been gradually opening to Jesus. In verse 11, he refers to him as the man called Jesus. In verse 17, he confesses that he is a prophet. In other words, he's from God. But he doesn't quite have the full picture yet. And so what happens after he's thrown out of the synagogue by the Pharisees? Jesus, who's been absent from the story since verse 7, reappears and he seeks this man out. He wants to ensure that this man does not just have physical sight, but that he also has spiritual sight to recognise who Jesus is. And this is the exact meaning of this story. And so Jesus finds him and he says to him, do you believe in the Son of Man? It's a title that Jesus often used to refer to himself. 
And this man's answer to Jesus' question, it reveals his readiness, his openness, his willingness to believe in Jesus. Look what he says. And who is he, sir, that I may believe in him? Now remember, this man wouldn't have seen Jesus since he had his sight restored to him. Jesus had moved on by the time he returned. Until now. Jesus said to him, You have seen him, and it is he who is speaking to you. He said, Lord, I believe And he worshipped him. This man immediately worships Jesus. No hesitation, no reluctance, just clarity and conviction. He receives Jesus and he steps into the light of his grace. See, the story begins with this man being given physical sight by Jesus. And it ends with him being given something far greater. Spiritual sight to recognise who Jesus is the Son of God and the Saviour of the world. And so let me ask you, do you have spiritual sight? How do you know? What's your response to Jesus? Do you believe that he is the Son of God and the Saviour of the world? Are you walking towards Jesus, the light of the world? And I'm not just talking about maybe something you prayed 20 years ago. I'm saying right now in your life, are you walking towards Jesus, the light of the world? Or have you turned from him? Are you walking away from him? The truth is, we can all freely come to Jesus with nothing to fear. Because on the cross, our sins were put on Jesus. Our darkness was put on him. This is why the land went dark when Jesus hung upon the cross. Do you remember that? It was a total eclipse, total darkness. But it wasn't just physical darkness. See, Jesus cried out from the cross, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He was being plunged into spiritual darkness. He was losing the face of the Father, the light of the Father's love. Why? For you and for me. He was descending into our darkness, the darkness we deserved, the darkness of God's judgment upon our sin so that we could walk in the light of God's love and forgiveness and grace. And this is why we're going to respond right now by singing our heads off with full hearts. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound, That saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I'm found. Was blind, but now I see. Let's pray and then sing. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word to us. Thank you that Jesus is the light of the world. We can freely come to him and walk in his light. The light of your love, your grace, your forgiveness. Because of what he did for us upon the cross. Thank you, Lord. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Church, let's stand as we respond to the message this morning.